answer for everything. So if you're just joining us for the first time today, or if you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube for the first time, one, we're glad that you're here and watching and joining us. Uh, but we are not in a Christmas series per se. We're actually in, we're, we've been talking about community all year, and we're actually in a specific moment of that series where we're talking about honor. And we're just going to continue this until we're done. It looks like it may bleed until next year because of the uh, program. And Amy's going to bring a message on the 26th. Uh, Pastor Josh will be speaking at our Christmas Eve service. And for the first time in 15 years, Angel and I may, may be here. We're taking the girls home to North Carolina. Our grandbabies, uh, we're going to do Christmas with them this week. So we actually may be here for the first time in 15 years. We'll see. So I told them, you go ahead and do your Christmas Eve service. I just want to attend because I want to see how you guys roll because they get an incredible turnout from the community. So I just want to be a part of that. And plus, it's not all about me anyways, right? Who amen that? Amen. All right, two people. All right, they're on my list. They're both on my pastor's cabinet. <laughs> Figures. <laughs> Think about our last two titles for a minute. Honor, this, honor for the sinner, and last week's repentance redeems failure. It's the Christmas season. Regardless of how you view Christmas, whether the date is exactly correct or not, or it's, whether it's a holiday that was created by man, and I don't understand why Christians celebrate it with a Christmas tree. Are you serious? I don't care what man created. I'm going to leverage everything that the enemy tries to do. I'm going to leverage it for the kingdom of God. The birth of Jesus Christ. Even if I have the date wrong, I'm still going to celebrate that. You know why? Because he's the savior of the world. He's the what? Savior. What did he save you from? The punishment of sin. Thank you, Jesus. So that you can forgive yourself when you make a mistake and you can forgive others when they hurt you. Let me repeat that. So that you can forgive others when they hurt you. Because it's the reason Jesus died. The Savior was born to die for the sinner so that his sin could be forgiven. His soul saved, his life resurrected and restored, and his spirit man redeemed. And the bonus, his future secured. Isn't that incredible? That is why I won't argue about all the possible conspiracies about Christmas and Easter. I'm going to leverage whatever Satan throws at me for the kingdom of God. Before we go back to the Culture of Honor book, I want to do one more piece on the book Unpunishable by Danny Silk. And it's on the New Covenant. And it's eternally, eternally crucial for you to understand the covenant that you are under because the Bible says if you cannot forgive, I will not forgive you. I want you to think about that. It's pretty spelled out, plain and simple. Might be hard to hear, but it's pretty plain and simple, pretty clear. In order for you to fulfill all that God wants you to accomplish with your life, you have to understand and get under this new covenant. Because we only have a short amount of time here on this earth. So we mentioned a verse last week that I kind of want to just do as an introduction to this. I want to address it before we dive in deep today. 
because I just kind of mentioned it last week, and so I want to spend a little bit of time in the beginning here. And it's from Genesis 6, 5 through 6. If you want to turn there, you can, but if not, it's on the screen. I have other passages that I want you to turn to. Genesis 6, 5 through 6. Let's read it again together. Uh, We're going to add a couple verses to that. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil at the time. So, the Lord regretted. The Lord regretted that he had even made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, and it sounds kind of harsh, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. Merry Christmas. <laughs> in your notes, if you're going to follow along and fill in the blanks, you have to understand something. God's response to an earth filled with corruption and violence was not, was not motivated by punishing anger. It was not motivated by punishing anger or revenge on the human race. Did you read the scripture? It was motivated by sadness. His heart was deeply troubled that they kept choosing the wrong path. Obviously, it was motivated by love, but it was motivated by sadness. Because, listen, he didn't need to punish humanity because humanity was already being punished by its own wickedness and its own perversions. Listen to this. Remember, I said this last week. Their punishment was what? Self-inflicted. Listen, if I give you a choice, Scott, you can do this or that. There's consequences to both choices. And if you choose the one that comes with bad consequences, why is that my fault? It's self-inflicted punishment, the consequences of sin. However, God did not wipe out everyone, did he? He didn't say, well, I guess I'll just wipe out everyone and start over every time things get bad enough. Listen, even though Noah was called righteous, do you realize that he was not immune? immune. He, was not, he, was not, he was capable of sinning. Of course, because he's human. In fact, Watch what the Lord says in his heart. It says the Lord said this in his heart. In Genesis chapter 8, this is right after the flood. Noah just stepped off the ark. He was building an altar to worship the Lord. And right after he steps out of the boat, this is what's going on in the Lord's heart. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Sadly, he knew that this new human race, Noah's descendants, would still have the old problems and head down the same road towards wickedness and perversion. But, but, that God would begin a new chapter in the story. This time, he would begin to intervene and step in and engage in human affairs in a very different way. He did that by establishing covenants with his chosen leaders from then on in the Old Testament. Covenant number one was between God and Noah. That's part of it. Covenant number two was between God and Abraham. Covenant number three was between God and Moses and the people of Israel. And covenant number four was between God and David. In your notes, every covenant, every covenant was another step in God's plan from now on to restore fallen humanity, and to keep or to restore our connection with him. 
Once the connection was lost, he had to, change, he had to ch turn that chapter of Adam and Eve and say, okay, now things are going to be different. I have to be more involved now because the, obviously on their own, they choose the wrong fruit. They choose the wrong leaves. I had to make clothes for them in case they picked poison ivy. Nobody laughed at that last week. I thought that was funny. But I work those in there, and I laugh in my office out loud, and then I feel like a fool when I present them publicly and nobody laughs. And then I think, must be my kids are right. I have a dry sense of humor. Every covenant was a step in God's plan to fix the connection problem. Listen to this. Every step from that, that day on was all about restoration. So why do we struggle with restoration when someone fails? Why do we struggle with it? It's God's plan from the beginning to restore people quickly so that the enemy cannot get a foothold on them. Yet we struggle with that. This is huge. The only difference in the four Old Testament covenants is that David's covenant with God included a new covenant. He promised to establish David's line and raise up a descendant to sit on his throne forever. Pretty crazy. What's his name? And it happened on Christmas. So it doesn't matter what date we celebrate. It doesn't matter how you celebrate it. You celebrate it any old way you want. You can go to Perkins if you want. I don't care. But it was a pretty big day when Jesus arrived on the scene because the new covenant started to be established. Wow. God said it hundreds of years ago, and he kept his promise. So that thing that he promised you, don't lose heart. Don't quit on life. It's coming. He's a God that promises if he spoke to you. Believe it. That is what I want to focus on today. It's a quote from the book, but it's how, it's how Jesus fulfilled these great promises and ushered in God's epic solution to the problem keeping us from walking in unbroken connection with him. This powerful quote from the book sets up our discussion today. There'll be several quotes from the book. God's covenant-making history with humans culminates in a stunning way. God establishes a new covenant, and the most important and dramatically different thing is who he makes the covenant with. Both of the, those prophecies point to the arrival of a new breed of humans on the planet. Humans who will know the Lord have his law written on their hearts, and have hearts of flesh, not stone, and then have the Spirit of God on them. What a covenant. The humanity 2.0, this new race, will come into being because God will forgive their iniquity and their sin and will remember it no more. So why are you remembering it? This is the covenant you're under. Why can't you forgive yourself? Why do we have so many perfectionists today in the Christian community? Today, I was letting go of something. I told you, every worship service, I'm like, Lord, forgive me. Oh, man, I messed up. I don't want to go up and preach with this on my heart. That is, he will bring about a relationship in which sin and its consequences, punishment, have been, you say it. Ding, ding, ding. Through his forgiveness, punishment is permanently done away with. In this new covenant, forgiveness will open the door to our total transformation and bring us out of the punishment paradigm for good. Amen is right. Isn't that amazing or what? Now that is a covenant that I want to be under. I don't know about you. I don't want to be under the old law. I want to be under this. So know this Christmas. 
that the new human race, the new human race, the new covenant arrived on earth when the birth of Jesus Christ happened. He brought this with him. And the church didn't like it. And we still don't like it today. Colossians 1.15 tells us of the firstborn of the new human race. Here's what it says in Colossians 1. Oh, I don't think I put it up there. Did I put it up there? No, I didn't. The Son is the image of the invisible God. And it says, the firstborn over all creation. Now, it may be a mystery in your notes. It may be a mystery to us. But Jesus was both fully human and fully God. You know, want to know why? So that we can see both who we were created to be and who God truly is. Let me repeat that. Jesus was both fully human and fully God because he wanted us to see who we were created to be and who God truly is. Let that sink into your spirit, man, and affect your soul. Do you, do you, what's your identity this morning? What is it like? Do you, do, you, do you know why you were created? Do you know what your purpose is? It's in Christ. That's what he brought to the table. It's not in your job. It's not in your children. It's not even in your church. It's in who Christ has created you to be. I, I challenge you to take a gift test. I challenge you to, to, to study this out and figure out. Because I just don't think we were created to just wake up and feed the kids and send them to school and go to work and make a paycheck and come home and pay bills, feed them supper, send them to sleep and wake up and do the same thing over the next day. That's not what we are created to do. I mean, we have to do those things, but that's not our real purpose here. It's to infect the planet with Jesus, right? Think about Jesus's life and all that he did. He was constantly and faithfully Honoring and protecting his connection with God, himself, and others. The human side of the covenant. He also consistently and faithfully and perfectly revealed the heart of the Father to us, which fulfilled the God side of the covenant. You know, the partnership that God has longed to have with us from the beginning. And in your notes, the new covenant ushered in a new way to deal with sinners. <laughs> A new way. And we're not supposed to go back to the old way. We stick with the new way. Don't you become a Pharisee and a Sadducee, and don't you go back to the law and punish people for hurting you. The punishment was taken care of on the cross. Jesus came and brought a new way to deal with sinners. And guess what? The church really struggled with this back then, just as we do now. You know why? Because people must pay. They need to be punished for what they did to me. They need to feel pain. And Pastor Mark is too light on them. So for the next 20 years, I will hold it against them. And they will never, when they're around me, they're going to know it. Because I will deliver punishment. Oh boy. Your judgment day is going to be very interesting. I'll decide how much they will be punished. And I will decide how long. Hmm, kind of sounds like torture for both parties. Listen closely to this. The society back then and even the church back then had traditional social punishments. You know, stoning, crucifixion, 
I mean, they had traditional things that were accepted by most people in the culture, even the church. Punishment for sinners, tax collectors, and others who were considered unclean. All you had to do is be from another state. Come into the state of Pennsylvania, they would stone you because they considered you impure in, in some cases. Outsiders were punished. That was justified in their culture, listen, by religious grounds. However, <laughs> Jesus didn't participate in any of them. Let me repeat that. Jesus didn't participate in any of them. Can you hear that, church? Can you hear heaven right now say that to you? Jesus didn't participate in man's standard or even an old standard of dealing with sin because he was here to show us what? A new way. So why do we keep reverting back to the old way? Why can't we forgive ourselves? You know, Alan will tell you from history, because I read it, and when I took my church history class, I was blown away about these monks that would literally whip themselves because of one sin area. And they would whip themselves till they bled. And it's a lot of times other monks would have to step in and stop them because they were afraid they were going to die. That's what they felt like they had to do. They had to punish themselves when they messed up. Some of us do that, not, not literally, but we do it. You're doing it right now. And you're not following the new way, the new covenant. And it's pretty freeing to know that you can forgive yourself and just let it go. No one's surprised that you messed up. No one's surprised. Most of all, God. Jesus is definitely not surprised because he would have went, well, how can I be surprised? I went to the cross for that. That's why I went. Remember, though, remember, though, Oh, sorry. I'm skipping ahead, I think. I did, sorry. So Jesus came to show us a new way to deal with sinners. In, in your notes, instead of shaming or punishing sinners, instead of shaming or punishing sinners, like the tax collectors, the unclean, the outsiders, he showed love to them. He ate with them. He, he had fellowship and connection with them. Listen, Jesus was so brilliant, he leveraged food. Did you see Rick leverage food with Alan today? Maybe I can come over to your house and have some hot tamales. I didn't know if that was a, I don't know if he was racist there or like, a, not racist, but it was like, a, what, were you stereotypical of because you're from Panama? I'm like, Rick. But I think he wants to come over to your house. Okay, I think that was the message. He leveraged food and, and included them among his followers. Can you hear heaven, church? He welcomed sinners in as followers. His disciples, however, they grew up in this culture. It was the only standard they knew of how to deal with sin. That is why they suggested um, to call down fire on a Samaritan village that didn't even, that all they did was they didn't welcome Jesus properly according to social, traditional social way. In Luke chapter 9, you can read it. You need to burn this city because they didn't welcome you like they should for a rabbi. And you know what he did? He rebuked them. Say, guys, chill. Go with me to John chapter 8. Go with me to John chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're going to use a black Bible in front of you under the chair, it's page 1059. 1059. Now, the reason why we're going here is because there was a very dramatic scene that happened that most of us are aware of. 
where Jesus refused to participate in punishment when a group of Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And I just think we need to review it, even if you're aware of it. John chapter 8, beginning with verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Huh? Why? To shame her. Listen, if anybody ever comes up here to ask their community for forgiveness, it will be because they wanted to do it. I may suggest it, but I never make anybody unless it's a leader in the church. Okay? I, don't not, I would never make somebody come up here just to shame them more than they already feel. Do you understand that? They made her stand before the group, verse 4, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught. Uh-oh. She didn't just sin. She was caught. We have a lot of private sin that nobody knows about. But she was caught. And we have laws and we have rules against that when you get publicly caught for adultery. Verse 5. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, <laughs> now, what they didn't know and what they didn't understand was the now was a different time. That was the wrong word to use with Jesus. It was a different time. It was a different way. It was a new now. <laughs> They're about to find out. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap, verse 6 says, in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus, as cool as this guy's the coolest cat I know, he just bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And I don't think we want to know what he was writing, do we? Or maybe we do. Maybe we think that he was spelling out their sin, and we want to know. You know why? So that we can revel in their sin. And we can say, get him, Jesus. Get him good. But what if we did know and he was writing specific sin issues in the dirt and it's a sin that we struggle with right now? Would you still want to know what he was writing? Huh? Well, yeah, I don't think so. Verse 7. It's all heart issue, isn't it? When they kept on... You, re, you realize why I said that? Because this is what we do to people. When they hurt us, and we go to other people to talk about it instead of that person. We stand them before a group of people and say, look at what he did. And we shame them. It's to bring shame and punishment on people. When we gossip. If we have a hurt with someone, we're supposed to go directly to them, fix it, and move on. But we don't do that. We do this today. We act just like the Pharisees. We shame people because we want people to be on our side because we never want to be wrong. We never want to admit that we might have screwed up and hurt them. So immediately we go into defense mode, self-protection mode that we talked about last week. Verse 7, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. <laughs> That's not funny to you? That is funny. 
I would have laughed so hard if I was one of his disciples. And I, I might have been one of them walking away. I just about picked up a stone. The older ones first. The ones who should have known better were the first ones to realize they couldn't throw a stone. Until only Jesus was left with the woman. Do you realize how profound that statement is right there? Because in the end, it'll only be you and him. There'll be a host of angels, and, but, but really, ultimately, your judgment will be just between you and him. There will be no accusers around. There will be nobody to blame. You will be standing alone with him. And thank God he's Jesus and I'm not. Because look at how he handles this situation, just like with your judgment, if you follow him with all of your heart to the best of your ability with the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. Then neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. And then he has a caveat. Forgiveness, you can't abuse this. I'm forgiving you, but go now and leave your life of sin. Think about this. Her punishers, her punishers had no right to punish her because they are also sinners. According to Jesus, of course, we don't know them. But Jesus, who is a sinless son of God and who alone has the true right to punish sin and hold sinners accountable, in one sentence, he takes away the authority of her punishers. In one sentence. By reminding them, as we need to be reminded, that they are, in fact, on the same foundation of sin as the sinner they want to punish. Now, we're not supposed to remain sinners, but we still have the evil flesh in us, the evil nature. We still have the foundation. We have the, pot, we have the capability of it. And then in the very next sentence, he wipes out the whole society's standard of punishing by saying, they can't punish you, and neither do I. Neither will I. You know what he did? He offered forgiveness. He offered restoration quickly, right there on the spot. She didn't have to go through six months of classes to prove herself. He restored her because he was inviting her into a new life with him. Listen, remember, without sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. He commissions her to a life of freedom of sin. We are not to repeat. We are not to repeat. We are to walk away from it. The Pharisees said, this is how Moses told us to deal with sinners. Jesus responds with, yeah, we're not doing it that way anymore. In your notes. And he ushers in a new way to deal with sinners where they aren't punished, but they are offered a way out of their sinful lifestyle. Do you hear that for your family members this Christmas that annoy you and frustrate you and you wish they just had Jesus and you can barely be in the room with them because you're so self-righteous and holy and perfect? They're not punished. They're offered a way out of their sinful lifestyle. Well, they don't want it, Pastor Mark, and that's what's so frustrating. So they're adults or children. Let, they can decide, teenagers, Sometimes you browbeating them is not going to turn them towards Jesus. It's going to turn them more to sin. So remember, though, remember this as we talk about this. Punishment 
is never off the table with God. Do you get that? Punishment is never off the table with God. As our creator, mind you, he has the right to do anything he wants to do, including handing out punishment, if he so chooses. Look at it, look at it says in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord. And who's the Lord? This is before the punishment, before his statement about punishment. Ready? Who's the Lord? Before I punish, you need to know who I am. I'm compassionate. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger, and I'm abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love, even while you keep sinning, I keep loving you to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin over and over and over. Yet, yet, the guilty must still be punished. The guilty. Who are the guilty? The guilty are those who have been warned, but they choose sin anyway. And now they're suffering self-inflicted punishment allowed by God, but not his first and primary action towards sin. For God, it's a sad last resort to allow one of his children to suffer the consequences of sin. Hell was not created for us, but you get to choose to go there. That's the point. Does that make sense? Listen, he is first compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithful to his children, and by the way, maintains his love while we are still sinning but eagerly desires and longs for his children to run to him for forgiveness. But like Adam and Eve, if you refuse, you lose. And he wanted his relationship with you to be dominated by love so much that he took the punishment for sin on himself. God did. God and Jesus are not two separate people. Do you realize that God felt Jesus' pain the entire time during the crucifixion scene? He felt it. They're the same person. Do you really know that? Because of the way we talk about God sometimes, I wonder. I wonder if we really know him the way we should. And isn't that the goal? The goal for you, if you don't know what your purpose is, the goal, one, one of your main purposes, your main purpose for being created by God is to know his heart. So what are you doing to know his heart? There's your, there's your marching orders in your notes. Most of us know that forgiveness requires an offering. The old system was to sacrifice a goat for your sins. Alan still does this in his backyard after working on his house. I found out he's still, he's still sacrificing goats because he just doesn't feel worthy enough to be in my presence. I'm just kidding. And I keep telling him what I'm going to tell you. The life of an animal could never fully cleanse the impurity of human sin. It was a temporary system. Are you offended yet? I'm, all right, good, stay. So God sends a righteous servant to become an offering for sin. Thank you, Jesus. And I just want to read it to you. I was going to skip this part, but I thought, you know what? No, let's go there. Go with me to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. I'll give you time to turn there. It's page 731 in the Black Bible, 731. Isaiah 53. You, you need to hear this this Christmas. You need to be reminded of this. Oh, Pastor Mark, you don't understand what I've done. I've murdered people. I've tortured people. I've abused people sexually and mentally and emotionally. Still the same Jesus. Still the same forgiveness. 
still the same restoration. Isaiah 53, beginning with verse 3. This is so incredible. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Let's remember that. He knows your pain. He's familiar with it. It's not that he doesn't care. He's with you right there while you're going through it. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Verse 5, another big but in the word of God. But he wasn't punished by God. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. The punishment that we deserved, he took on himself so that we could have it we could have live in peace and not in fear of eternal punishment. And by his wounds, thank God, we are healed. Verse 6, let's remember that we all, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, which is the wickedness and immorality of us all. For the transgression, the sin of my people, he was punished. Verse 10, Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He'll justify many that you don't think deserve to be justified. Got that? And he will bear their iniquities. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the sinners. And no one's dancing and shouting. This is why I want to preach in an African-American church. Because you white people are boring. That is amazing. We should be dancing and shouting. That is amazing. He willingly allowed himself to be betrayed, arrested, slandered, beaten, pierced, mocked, scourged, crushed, and executed through the worst human instruments of torture and shame. Why? So that he could say to you the same thing that shocked his audience back then. I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. Now go, sin and no, no, now go sin no more. Don't repeat it. And because the religious leaders could not surrender their punishment standard, they are the ones who punished Jesus. And he willingly allowed it to happen. In fact, he told them to their faces exactly what they were going to do to him. They didn't even know what, he was, what they were going to do, but he knew. Why did he allow that to happen? Again, to remove our sin and to pursue, to pursue the goal of reconnection with us. And he never played the victim card. (laughs) Why me? Why am I on this cross? Why can't it be Katie in 2021? This isn't my fault. It's not my sin. Why do I have to die for Jared's sin? He never did that. Amy said something so profound a couple Christmases ago. It was probably 10 years ago now. When she said that he was displayed for the whole world to see on the cross. And it wasn't in shame. It was in the, for the glory of God. He was displayed. I can't remember exactly what she said, but that hit me. Oh, my word. 
He knew what was going to happen. He saw it. They were going to go to the highest hill in the city, and they were going to put him on the biggest cross right in the center, center of attention, and they thought they were shaming him when all they were doing was glorifying God. So anything the enemy is up to, come on, guys, twist it on him. Leverage it for the glory of God. Don't, make it, don't let him take you out because of it. He never played the victim card, nor was he ever an angry avenger, nor did he have any fear of punishment. He just loved you all the way through it in your notes. But free will, free will, though, leaves us with a choice. Free will leaves us with a choice. And I will show you that, that choice in a second. But you need to remember, we have a choice. Which covenant are we going to fall under? Now, Alan's been trying to get me to read this book since he moved here, and I still haven't done it. And when I came across this quote, I felt really guilty, and he's here so he can beat me up afterwards. Here's what C.S. Lewis wrote about this in the book, The Great Divorce. There are only two kinds of people, those who say, thy will be done to God, or those to whom God in the end says, sorry, you wanted your own will? You wanted your own way, you get your own consequences. I'm sorry. Thy will be done, he'll say to some. All that there are in hell, all that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, it wouldn't be hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Danny Silk goes on to add this in his book. Unpunishable. This is the sobering reality we must all reckon with, that despite all God has done to free us from the slavery to sin and punishment, we could still choose to stay locked eternally in the darkness of the punishment paradigm, addicted to our victimhood, vengeance, shame, fear, control, and self-preservation. Unless we choose the path of repentance, we are choosing a lifetime of punishment over a life of no punishment in the new covenant. We are choosing hell over heaven. You get that? Listen, as members of the new covenant, we are no longer orphans. An orphan mindset walks in a false identity or a lack of identity. Orphans believe that they are unworthy of love or connection. But our identity radically changed when Jesus showed up. When we were restored to a relationship with the Father through the Son, now we are sons and daughters. We are not orphans. Listen, who share Christ's nature, spirit, and access to the Father. So I want to end this discussion by showing you the difference between orphan and son and daughter, the difference between the punishment paradigm and the new covenant paradigm. I put it in your notes. The first time I think I've ever put something in there, but I, I wanted you to be able to go home with this. It's a, uh, by the way, a paradigm, a paradigm is a philosophy. It's a standard. It's a belief system. It's a model or a pattern, okay? Listen, listen. A paradigm is something we follow. Did you hear that? It's something we follow. So these two charts are important because we are going to follow one or the other. We will either walk in the orphan mindset or the son and daughter mindset. And you get to choose free will. So play close attention. All right? This is right out of the book. First one is the punishment paradigm. The identity is that I'm an orphan and a, or a slave. The core belief is that my flaws and failures make me unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. I deserve disconnection and punishment. So does everybody else with flaws and failures. The motive is fear. 
fear of punishment and fear of disconnection. The behavior strategies is I avoid punishment either by hiding and fitting in through pleasing, perfecting, and performing, or by refusing to fit in by rebelling and making my own rules. The other behavior is that I punish others when they scare, hurt, or offend me. The goal, self-preservation. Don't choose this one. Can I show you the new covenant? Watch this one. The new covenant paradigm is the identity is that you're a son and daughter of God. The core belief is that through Jesus I have become a son or daughter who is worthy of love, worthy of belonging, and worthy of connection. My mistakes do not disqualify me from the Father's love. Instead, they are precisely where I learned the depth of his love, his forgiveness, his commitment to transform me into a mature child who looks like Jesus. Motive, love, behavior, I pursue connection all the time, even when it's scary, painful, or offensive. The goal, connection. Is that powerful or what? I'm not smart enough to write that. Danny Silk laid, laid that out. We get, we get to choose. What do you want to walk in? Richard, show the other one first. Show it again. You want to walk in that? Now go to the next one. Or do you want to walk in that? In your notes. You can choose to walk in an orphan mindset or as a son and daughter of God. Listen to me. Whichever one you choose, you will follow. Which means, listen, all of your decisions will be based on that identity. Everything that happens to you in life will be filtered through that identity. All that God wants to do in you will be seen through the lens of that identity. So choose which identity, which paradigm do you want to live under? Because it affects your entire life and it affects those around you. And I just want to point out at least one very powerful point. Richard, will you bring that new covenant back up? I, want, I just want to point this out. Look at the core belief there. Look at the second part of that core belief. My mistakes do not disqualify me. Instead, that's actually where I learn about God's love and his forgiveness and his commitment to me. Listen, people may give up on you when you sin, but God doesn't. Because people want to live by the punishment paradigm. So don't go by people. Go by God. Do you hear this? Your mistakes do not disqualify you. And listen, other people's mistakes do not disqualify them. They're supposed to lead us towards God. So that we can be forgiven, restored, and transformed. Now go and sin no more. We're supposed to learn and grow from our mistakes, folks. Not let them take us out. Think about the heart of God here. Our mistakes are supposed to draw us nearer to him. Our mistakes are supposed to draw us nearer to him. Do you hear that? Not further away. And if you discipline your children properly with love, let me tell you what will happen. The opposite of what you fear will happen because parents are too worried about being best friends with their kids because we live in fear. You're afraid they're going to hate you if you actually discipline. But the opposite's going to happen. They're going to want to be closer to you. When I was taught how to punish children properly with love, I, I, I told you this before, so a lot of you are new. I was stunned. I, when, they left, when they left the room where I handed out discipline, it wasn't always a spanking. Sometimes it was a grounding, but whatever it was. Yes, I used the word spanking. I would walk in the living room, and they were gathering themselves, and I told them when they're ready, you know, they can come out. And Angel was in the kitchen. Most of the times we were separate, even if she was in a separate chair and I was, or couch and I was on the recliner. And I thought for sure, because I, you know, I was feeling horrible inside. 
Because God doesn't like to discipline either. It's horrible to have to discipline your children and then follow through with it. It's horrible. And do you know who they, whose lap they came and sat on? Mine. Blew me away. Blew me away. And they didn't just sit on my lap. They grabbed me. And they just sat there for an hour or so after disciplining them. It works. It works if you do it properly. You never, you never discipline out of anger because they're going to feel your love in the discipline and they will respect you more. I hope that we're getting this. This is what I want you to get today as we close. We are to leverage our mistakes to become more like Jesus. Think about that. We are to leverage our mistakes to become more like Jesus. Wow. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being, we're in the process, right? We're a work in progress. From glory to glory, he's changing me, changing me, changing me. What is he changing me into? The likeness and image of him. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's stand. From glory to glory, he's changing me. Maybe you can change that. From mistake to mistake, he's changing me. His likeness and image too perfect in me. The love of God shown to the world. How many of you recognize that song? I just want to date you. Come on, Tammy, put your hand up. Come on, all right, there you go. Come on, sister. We're the same age. Come on, I think you may be younger. I have one more statement for you before I pray over all of us because everything that we talked about is a journey, okay? It's a journey. Another quote from the book I want to leave you with and I'm going to pray. Watch this. Our transformation from orphans to mature sons and daughters is the journey of a lifetime and receiving and giving forgiveness are essential ongoing practices on that journey. Guess what? That means that life in the new covenant is messy, especially in the church where everybody expects everybody to be perfect. It's messy. Sin is messy. Sometimes restoration can be messy, but it's, all, it's, all, it's what God wants. We are all in the process of allowing God to dismantle the lies, fear, and selfishness of the punishment paradigm in our hearts and form new hearts of flesh that can love like he loves. We are all learning to let love drive out fear and retrain, retrain us to choose connection over self-preservation every time. Do you know what that means? That means when you sin, don't run from us. Run to us. I'm not saying every church will handle this properly, but I'm telling you here, we will treat you with love. And we will restore you as long as you want restoration. Don't run from us. That's an orphan mindset. People who run the moment there's a problem that don't deal with it right away and fix things. They run and they hide and they self-preserve. And you're supposed to run to God. I'll just You understand, not every church is in a healthy way to deal with it if you run to them. And I'm telling you, we will handle you with kids' gloves. We will handle you with the hands of God. We will extend mercy and grace just like he does to me every single day. Okay? And we'll work it out. We may have to come up with a restoration process. It may take a while. But regardless, if you want it, we're here and we will hand it and we will offer that to you because that's what God does.
We are all discovering what it means to repent, reconcile, and to be restored in our relationship with God, ourselves, and others. The beauty of life in the new covenant, however, is that our transformation is happening not in spite of our messes, but through them. That is powerful. Let's pray. I'm just going to let that, leave that right up there, Richard. I just want you to stare at it until it sinks in. Your messes do not disqualify you for working for God in the kingdom, for God's love from you. Nothing can separate you from his love. Just receive that this morning as your eyes are closed or you're staring at the screen, however you want to do it. Holy Spirit, will you help us to receive this this morning? I know these are the words of Danny Silk, but they reflect the heart of God. That it's not in spite of our messes, but it's through our messes that we get closer and more intimate with you when we run to you and not from you. When we don't just run to another church when somebody hurts us or we mess up, but we run to the church that we know God has called us to and we work it out and we fight for forgiveness and restoration and peace. We don't just church hop and go to a new place where nobody knows our business. That, by the way, they're going to find out. You live in a small town, by the way. <laughs> One of the bad parts about living in a small town. You can only hide for a while. Sin, your sin will always find you out, the Bible says. So just run to us and fix it. Don't be ashamed. We're not going to shame you. So let's stop shaming ourselves. And let's stop shaming others who have hurt us. Father, may we, if we can remember anything, that story of that woman that you restored and offered a new way, a new life. Help us to be that. Help us to be your representative right now on earth where a lot of people need to be restored back into a relationship with you. Help us to keep our love on 24 hours a day and not be driven by our emotions and feelings, but be driven by love. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.